Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Why do we sound different? What's different about this episode, Dan? Uh, well, this is a bonus episode. Boners episode. Boners okay. episode. We've put all those got away. boners. No, Look, at them. No, Look at them. Look at them. Let's do it. Let's you and me fence. No, okay. Oh, God, gross. Ow. I don't. Ow. Yeah, parry, thrust, Ow. parry, Ow. thrust, riposte, <laughs> and for the killing blow. Oh, they're so bruised now. <laughs> I don't know how you got so much force behind that. Foreskin. <laughs> um, you shouldn't, of all people, you should not have foreskin. It's Elliot. true. It's true. I don't. Um, well, it's a bonus episode. You learn a secret about all of us. My secret, no foreskin. What do you got? What about you guys? Stay tuned for uh, our, our my secrets. secret is also no foreskin. Stuart, <laughs> my secret is I have all the foreskin. <laughs> Everyone, yeah, it droops behind me like a parachute. <laughs> That's horrible. Well, anyway, Dan, why was this bonus episode for? Uh, this bonus episode is for the maximum fun. Uh, donation drive, the pledge drive, the max fund drive, it's called. If you're I listening- hit it on the third try. <laughs> yeah, that third time's a charm for very professional show business. Uh, so if you're listening to this, it means you pledged to max fun. And thank you very much for doing so. Thank yeah, you. Your kind support keeps shows like this one on the air. <laughs> As it were. <laughs> I ignore that we did this show for no money for many years. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, we're going to break format a little for this special bonus episode bonus episode uh, we're gonna talk about ghost stories around a campfire yes yeah. yep crackle crackle, crackle. <laughs> spit crackle fire sounds <laughs> marshmallow <in> <laughs> uh wait wait scary stories to tell in the dark yeah. there was always the moment with that book where you would turn off the lights and then you'd turn it back on because you couldn't read the book with the lights on <laughs> yeah that's a Maybe problem. you couldn't, <gasps> but I had enough uh, stickers on my ceiling of stars <laughs> that would glow. I could see whatever, man. Wow, how'd yeah. you get to sleep with all that light? It was kind of weird. It took me a lot of practice. But it made it took me a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> but it made Stuart feel safe is the important thing. Yep, looking yeah. up there, looking up there, the cosmos, seeing Orion. I'm just, I'm just made out of your dust, your astral matter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Good morning, starshine. Stu's bed says hello. You twinkle above me. I look at you glow. When the stew is in the seventh house. (laughs) And stupider (laughs) it must. Uh, no, wait, what What are we talking about? See, oh. what I would do is I would look up at my ceiling and imagine that somewhere else out there, Fivel's just hanging out. <laughs> Fivel came over a long time ago. He's either an old mouse or dead. He's he buried in some Jewish mouse skeleton. cemetery talk somewhere. About a, talk about a mouse without some foreskin. But Fivel. <laughs> but um, anyway. True. I mean, I'll tell you that the Mousequitz family came over at the right time. Yeah? Yeah. I guess that's true. Well, um, yeah, I mean, they got out of Europe while they get pogroms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this uh, normally on this podcast, we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. We're breaking format a little for this special mm-hmm. bonus episode. Breaking two. Electric format a <laughs> uh, What we did is we watched a bad television show. Uh, well, we don't know necessarily if it was bad. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to answer a few questions that were posed to us on the Flophouse Facebook page. So if you were one of, the, one of those posers who posted on the Facebook page. I think you mean page. posters. Posters. No, mm-hmm. posers. Who posted, because you posed us questions? posed us questions. Oh, I see. Uh, you know, you're only hearing your answer if you donated. 
It's a catch-22, except for not really. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, if you asked a question and didn't donate, you can't hear this right now. Mm-hmm. And you'll never hear the answer. Yep. If you donated and didn't ask a question, you get to hear the answers to everyone else's questions. Mm-hmm. You're like a god. You'll know all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Mr. Sinister. <laughs> but tonight... Wait, he's a god? No, but he knows a lot. Okay. He was always being like, you have no idea, Scott Summers, mm-hmm. of your true background. And then he disappeared because the writers hadn't figured out what that and was And he also yet. took Ernie Hudson's advice that if someone asks him if he's a god, he says yes. Yeah. Oh. Mr. Sinister was sitting watching Ghostbusters in the theater and went, mm. An excellent lesson. <laughs> and the people behind him are like, get that cape thing out are of the way. Are those streamers on your back? What is that? Did someone shred your cape up? It's supposed to look like this. Mm-hmm. That cape is shredded like less. <laughs> Literally, yeah. But um, Hey, so- confetti cape. <laughs> Down in front. Is that Spider-Man? Is that what ticker, Spider-Man Ticker, ticker, tape, cape. Anyway, no, it's the X-Men stuff. No, I know, but like that sounds like a Spider-Man zing. Well, because I oh, sound like confetti, Spider-Man zings. Confetti cake. <laughs> confetti cake? Confetti cake. Sounds delicious. He probably it got in a fight with him thing. during Inferno, right? Well, there was actually a series called Spider-Man X-Men where Mr. Sinister was the lead villain in it. So oh, okay. Spider-Man, I don't think, encountered Sinister during Inferno. Uh-huh. Even though it was going on in New Did York. Did he make any jokes about his diamond head? I mean, we could have done an all... <laughs> or, or the metal band Diamond Head. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. We could easily have done an all gibberish podcast for the bonus episode. Yeah, but instead we decided to watch a dumb show. And what show was it, Dan? <laughs> we watched Small Wonder. The pilot of Small the Wonder. pilot episode. So when's this show from, Dan? When we're, when? Uh, 1980. 1985, according to the copyright really? notice at the end of the credits. That's fucking mm-hmm. late. Yeah. So the same year that gave us Back to the Future gave us Small Wonder. Yeah, but it wasn't the same people. I know, <laughs> I mean, but... this, this, this same year. Yeah, last Doc year. Brown didn't shit out Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it still feels like this is like the product of a stupider time when we still haven't figured out television. <laughs> Great stuff and stupid stuff happens all the time, Dan. I know. Mad Men was on at the same time as Whitney. You know, like there's, there's lots of different stuff, you know? Okay. I just, it's, it's, it feels so old to me. It feels like this came out in like, I'm like Back to the Future, which feels like it came out yesterday. It feels like yeah. a fucking Christopher yeah. Nolan movie. So, so prescient. Yeah. Uh, so, as we all know, Small Wonder is the tale of a family... Told by an idiot. <laughs> ...that adopts a robot. Not adopts a robot. Well, the dad yeah. built the robot. But they didn't they, go to the robo-adoption agency. But in effect, they adopted. We were going to build our own robot, but there are so many robo-orphans out there, or robo-orphans, um, <laughs> full of endorphins. So the, the father played here to a T by Dick Christie. <laughs> Who has uh, had not a long career, but apparently played someone called Stu in one episode of Breaking Bad. Well, so a cool name. So that's like an almost thirty year cool career. name. He was, yeah. He's probably so that a villain. Is a long career. Well, it's a long career, but there's not. It's not. It's been spotty. Let's say with a name like that, he, he must have been some kind of like uh, better than Heisenberg type character who had to get killed by like a million ninjas or something. Yeah, that's what the name Stu tells me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, super cool. Not at all like a so Dick Christie plays the dad of a family. His wife is a mechanic okay. or jumpsuit model. <laughs> she wears, a, as many women in the 80s do, she wears a jumpsuit that accentuates Dan's favorite part of the woman. It's true. It is a very butt-accentuating. <laughs> uh, but she does look clothing. like she is about to go tell Baloo how to fix the tailspin plane. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so. he's the father of one very charming uh, Gremlins fan. Very... <laughs> He's got a very muggy son who has... Uh, now explain what you mean by muggy. Like, it's a humid, a lot of mosquitoes around <laughs> yep. him? Yeah. He's like Pigpen, except for there's just 
fog and mosquitoes. Pig yeah, the hippie? Yeah, he's like a swamp thing, pig pen crossbreed. His name is Jamie, um, and he's their son. Yeah, he looks mm-hmm. like one of those sons from the 80s. He's got a, like a... And he is... By Page far, boy haircut. Like that's this the guy from that's the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins, right? Was no. that the, the <laughs> urban legend that was? Was that? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah where the killer Jimmy shows Corgan. up and he tells you that he grows up to be Billy Corgan. Wait, the killer shows up? Well, I said urban legend. That made me think about slashers. Okay. <laughs> this kid had a huge career in television, though. He was on TV a lot. Um, if you named a show, did he grow in up to 80s. be Marcy from uh, <laughs> Married with Children? Uh, no. No, well, I think didn't. we all agree that he was the most talented of the four major actors that we saw in this show. The four actors being, of course, the mom, the dad, the kid, and the, the small wonder. <clears throat> You're ignoring Harriet, the best character in the Yeah, Yeah, Harriet, literally the spy. But we'll get to that. So the, the show starts. This is weird. According to Wikipedia, he won the Young Artist Award for appearing in a in a movie or TV show called Police Woman Centerfold, <laughs> in the same year that he was in Small, or the year before he was in, no, the same year I guess he started in Small Wonder. Uh, I won't tell you where he is now because it's kind of sad. Okay, oh. but anyway, he's a grown up now. But uh, he is by far he is the strongest point of the show, and the, they knew this. He is there, Gary Coleman. He's there, Emmanuel Lewis. Mm-hmm. He's there, except he's an actual kid and not like an older guy who's pretending to be. And he does most of the he does most of the acting. Most of the scenes are him interacting with Robo Girl. With Robo Girl, well, Robo Girl. Let's say this: like, unlike say um, your Star Treks, be it the original or the Next Generation, where your Datas or Odos or whatever, or the Spocks. Odo or the, wasn't a robot. Or the emotional. Wait, he wasn't like a T one thousand. I'm not going. I'm not going robot. I'm saying. Your data's are your Spock. He's going. He's going GoBot. Where like the the emotionless character is actually kind of the most talented actor of the cast. Uh. Here, uh, Vicky of Small Wonder, uh, titular fame, is not the most talented. <laughs> well, actor. they don't give her much to work with. She's a she, robot. She just does a bunch of robot talk. Robot, like, yeah. She Vicky will pick this up. I with surprising strength because pre- I'm a robot. I will pretend I'm stupid and don't understand what you're saying. Gleep Glorp, I'm yeah. a robot. Gleep Glorp is alien talk. <laughs> beep Boop is robot talk. We've been talking we've been over this. She should say, Beep Boop, my name is Vicky. Gleep Glorp, like, give me some I, oil, dudes. That <laughs> <laughs> she becomes face. such a party animal. <laughs> Vicky's like the Amelia Bedelia of robots because she takes everything literally. Uh, or is you, Amelia Bedelia exactly. a robot? How do we know Amelia Bedelia wasn't the prototype for Rosie, the Jetsons made. Oh. Checkmate, listeners. <laughs> we are through the robot glass, people. <laughs> We're playing three-dimensional chess, and you can only see one move ahead of you. It's like Flatland <laughs> became 3D land, or whatever happens in that book. Mm. Became Fatland. <laughs> <laughs> it's like flat, Flatland, the book about geometry became Fatland, which is, is what, the sequel to Fast Food Nation? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Vicky, so the dad, Vicky stands for Voice Input Child Identicant. What's an identicant? <laughs> it's a robot. But uh, what I like is that means her initials are, her name is V-I-C-I, which isn't that Latin for I conquered? Yeah. And Vici, like Manu Vici. She conquered our hearts. And she did conquer. So it makes me believe that she's programmed to destroy at some point, And she I want to believe that. America's hearts. America's Sorry. hearts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All three of them. <laughs> In America. Yeah, uh, L.A., Chicago, New York. <laughs> but it makes, I want somebody to make the opening of Terminator 2 when it's, when they, cru- the T-800, uh, is it? Crushes that skull. Yes. And, uh, but it's Vicky. 
Sure. She's just stomping on a skull. I thought you wanted lasers. to see her being pushed into some molten lava, and she gives everybody thumbs up, and the audience is crying. They are <laughs> going. Like, they are rending their garments. Now, so the guy works at a, a place that we don't know, but he knows that his a project that he wanted to make. <laughs> except the opening of the theme song shows him walking with a shopping bag at a place called Universal Robotics. Is that the company he works for, or is it a store that he bought some parts at? <laughs> that's his. Yeah, that's the sandwich shop he went to. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, he it's had a themed pro- restaurant. He had a project he was working on at at work. And he comes home and he says, oh, my boss didn't even like it. They say, well, what is it? And he opens his briefcase just to reveal a bunch of nude, bald human parts. Yeah. Like a head and a torso and arms and legs that have been detached and put into a briefcase. It's a horrifying way to begin a sitcom. <laughs> this is the moment when a family sitcom. This is the moment when the wife should have picked up the son in her arms and ran off. Sure. Never to return. <clears throat> and she could have she run pretty fast because she's wearing that jumpsuit, dude. She's wearing a speed suit, yeah. yeah. Also, for like as stupid as this show is and as centered it is on the idea of like a child robot, like there's a lot of like sex jokes in it just because like 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 the whole center of the uh, mom-dad relationship just seems to be based on like mom wanting to have sex with the dad and the dad being disinterested. Well, you see him? The guy's an Adonis. Who wouldn't want to have sex with that no. guy? Yeah. Come on. If he wasn't such a nerd... I mean, but and the, she only has the one only, child, dude, and then he's just flaunting this child substitute. Well, in that's front the of other her. thing. Like he's, he's like, there's good like news, weird... honey. Now we can re- we can procreate without sex. Isn't <laughs> that better? And she's like, dude, I just want to get blasted. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, there's a weird, like, I don't know, like maybe it's she just, says like, this modern quote, world. Fill me up, fill me up hard. <laughs> she doesn't really say that. I just feel like there's a weird, creepy vibe whenever, like, well, the, show the dad went, is interacting with the young girl robot. Well, the too. show was created by David Cronenberg. Okay, <laughs> no, it wasn't Poor. really. But <laughs> the uh, he makes this robot. She's a little girl. She he put she's voice activated, which he programs by he's typing into this big computer console. Blink eyes. She blinks eyes. Wiggle nose and she wiggles nose, and then he which wrote, she doesn't wiggle her nose. She just flares her nostrils. It's hard for kids at, to wiggle. At their that nose. point, he should realize, oh my god, something bad is but going also, on. What kind the of ser- What kind of <laughs> servo motors is he wasting inside this robot's nose? Wiggling a nose is maybe the least useful thing a robot can do. Just give it a molded plastic nose that can't move. <laughs> that's my. Th- that's my. You know what? I don't what, get if, off what if she's a, what if she's in a uh, in a in a spot where like a Blade Runner well, is what, interviewing she's her? She's got to confuse someone into thinking she's a witch, like Samantha from Bewitched. <laughs> here, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but what's all this with robots with the moving noses? Back in my day, robots just had a piece of metal bolted to the front of their face. It was a nose. Everyone was fine with it. Didn't even have nostrils. Yet suddenly, you got all these robots who got noses so movable, they make Carl Malden look like Mount Rushmore. Anyway, that's my Dennis Miller on, <laughs> yeah, on Robo It's funny because it's true. <laughs> uh, you, but you do make a good point, which is that Always. The, the dad is not as good at creating a robot that understands things uh, as he is at creating, like, Fake human skin. <laughs> and well, like, he, he, just like faking the idea of being human in general. If he put his money, instead of putting his money into robot child, which I don't know why yeah. you'd make that, and put it into like a sex robot that's or, a warm, well, yeah. he says it's this new skin they're using for prosthetic limbs. Okay. But if he, if he put his effort into making like a lady sex robot, he'd be a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. Because I'll tell you, today's sex bots, not attractive. No. No. <laughs> 
It's basically a hollow mannequin that makes whirring noises. <laughs> and I have sampled and them And constantly all. looks Look surprised. Look for Consumer Reports and J.D. Power Associates. <laughs> They're always making a surprised face, like yeah. Mr. Bill or something. <laughs> like, I don't want to have sex with Mr. Bill. Stop trying to sell I me mean, this. sure, I'm curious. Okay? <laughs> but, but the... Uh, uh, he said he he types these commands and then he types in like activate voice activation like be voice activated and so that's all it takes. It's all so it's takes. like all he did was plug in his robot and typed in be a robot and it started walking around. Yeah, it seems like this guy actually just found a fully made robot somewhere <laughs> and tried to pass it off as his own. Or found a kid and said, "Kid, pretend you're a fucking robot or you're dead." Here's, <laughs> just, here's wow. twenty bucks. Here's I gotta $20. shave your head, kid. And I gotta install this weird uh, control panel inside your torso. Here's $25. Pretend you're a robot for the rest of your life. And don't you age. Don't you grow up. Because then people are going to know you're not a robot. And occasionally mistake commands and pick up things that are way too heavy for you to pick up. (laughs) Push the door down or else people are going to, I'm going to tell on you. Anyway, so the the son decides to misuse this robot. I don't remember how. He gets grounded for some reason. Well, no, he, he doesn't even like try and misuse the robot. He's like... He's he like the son's intentions are always pure. Oh, like the but first thing he does is he wants to make food for uh, his parents' and the, anniversary, and he's trying to teach her to do all his chores. I mean, what a lazy yeah. Ass. Well, I mean, yeah. there's that, but he's like but why, he's going to make invent a machine if you're not going to use it. Exactly. But here's the thing. But here's another reason to love this kid that I think Stuart mentioned earlier. He's got a rockin' Gremlins pajama set. Yeah. He's got a rockin' poster on his wall of Gizmo riding the little car. He's got a rockin' Star Wars Boris Vallejo poster. This is the coolest kid, and now he's got his own robot girlfriend cousin. And he's got and he's got a uh, a cabinet in his in his bedroom that just has an oversized novelty uh, stoplight in it. Yeah, it's a little bit like his parents got that at the estate sale of Pee Wee Herman's house. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like all he wants to do is make breakfast in bed. Is make America his, laugh. Is his, that so wrong? He's making breakfast breakfast in bed for his parents uh, on their wedding anniversary. Making him the first child in the history of the world who, as a child, cares about his parents' wedding anniversary. <laughs> and uh, it all, you know, goes pretty well until, like, Vicky takes the stuff in, into the uh, bedroom and just throws it on the bed. Uh, Although, to you know, be honest, she doesn't make a mess at all. Nothing comes out of no, the breakfast. Like, Dan, what's, right? the, uh, what's your uh, criteria for success on this one, Dan? Because <laughs> <laughs> the breakfast got onto Because the almost everything he does with her is uh, is witnessed by Harriet, the next door neighbor, who is the last person you want to see. Yeah, we, uh, well, we watch need to, you interact We forgot with the about the goon that sticks her face in the window. Yeah, every- we need to address Harriet, who is a monstrous child. Uh, looks like a raggedy Ann doll come to life. <laughs> we are making fun of a real child here. <laughs> I don't care. She's a grown-up now, grown dude. Now. She can take it. Well, I have to say that Harriet is actually probably my favorite character. She is sure. what you'd call a chaotic evil force. <laughs> All she lives to do is to spy on this family and be nosy and have doors slammed in her face. Mm-hmm. And it's like... The nosy neighbor is such a staple of sitcoms, and I love that they created a character who has no other purpose in life but to spy on her next-door neighbors. We learn nothing about her except that her dad works at the same company as Vicky and And, and she can Vicky's match dad. the shit out of her clothes. But also, she's a, yeah, and, she, and she's got a great selection of overalls. She's a child. Like, what is she gaining out of being nosy? She's like, a spy. And she's, she's uh, Harry well, the Spy. She's good at climbing. Yeah, but she, she, she's not getting any, like, sort of social standing out of, like, learning about what's happening and this other, like, she's not getting, like, titillated by it. She's just a child who's, like, looking in and seeing Vicky, like, spin her head around like she's in the And then she, and then she opens her mouth wide like she's shocked. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. 
maybe Harriet wasn't perfect, but she was. <laughs> but she, she was. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But she was an early prototype in the development R and D process that would eventually lead us to Urkel. And isn't that worth it? All right. Perhaps the most perfect neighbor character on a sitcom. And I'll tell you what made him so perfect. One, he had two catchphrases. Most most neighbors don't even have one catchphrase. Two, he had he could make a run, he made a better robot, and also turn himself into a cool guy. Yeah. Three, he hijacked that show and he made it all about him. That's You're- the dream of every neighbor character. There's a Seinfeld on Seinfeld. Kramer wished that it, the show became basically the Kramer Adventures. Part of the way through. Yeah. So you're hoping that if we had watched all four seasons of Small Wonder and this show ran somehow for four <laughs> Amazingly. seasons, then in the fourth season, it would basically be the Harriet show. Vicky wouldn't be in it. Yeah. Be by, the, in it. by the end of the fourth season, Harriet has managed to wear Jamie down to the point that it makes total sense that they go out on dates together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the reason I think the parents were also mad that they got interrupted with the breakfast in bed is because they were about to do it. They're finally mm-hmm. going to have sex. Uh, but that didn't happen. After, I guess, so, the, the five fa- years of virginity. I don't know what's the... Uh, impotence. She's all for it. Oh, He's yeah. the one who's like, oh, I want to look at these dot matrix printouts. I can't get a boner until my robot works. Um, but so... <laughs> I told myself that <laughs> no boners until <laughs> until the robot project is a success. So the... the you don't get to play with a joystick until I get to. Go! <laughs> Joysticks. Oh, if only we were watching that. Oh, well, there's a, a movie. That's a good, bad movie. Um... Featuring King Vidiot, one of the best, one of the, okay, I was just saying those nice things about Urkel, that was crap. (laughs) King Vidiot from Joysticks is is genuinely a great character. So, he gets in trouble, he gets grounded, the son. He decides, I'm going to get them back into, I'm going to get back into their good graces by going to a store and buying them a present. So he goes to the most generic store I've ever seen Mm -hmm. in anything. Yeah, but it has the best thing going on that I've ever seen on a show, (laughs) which is, there's a sad little circus display. <laughs> and by circus display, I mean there's like One robot two clown. clowns and maybe something else. With like a velvet rope. <laughs> yeah. Be like, and, these kids totally want to touch the shit out of this display. No way. Hands they're, off. They're You'll just, wear down this 300-year-old fabric we've used. And there's a sign. There's a sign on it. Well, George Washington used to look at this clown robot. There's a sign on it that says, last day for circus display. As if you need that so, like, fathers aren't, like, the next day is, like, pile in the station wagon, kids. We're going down to the mall to see the circus. Well, you guys are seeing know- the early days of social media right there. <laughs> it's the only way you know the display is over is if you're already looking at it that day. <laughs> like, I don't think there are big banner ads hanging from lampposts no. all over the this town was, saying, like, was circus display at the store front, only through June 12th. Front page news on the local <laughs> newspaper. Circus display to bring joy into children's hearts. Oh, circus it, display closes tomorrow. <laughs> Thousands kill selves rather than live in world without circus display. <laughs> President declares National Day of Grief. And it's such a flag to fly at half mass for circus display loss. <laughs> and it's such a hard timeline that the workers start packing up the display mid shift. This is the last day. Wait till nighttime when the store closes. <laughs> Yeah, so they come like right two. after the sun appears to have bought what is, I guess, a ceramic bowl of some kind. <laughs> and he goes by himself, but who follows him like little Bo Peep's sheep? Vicky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and she is fascinated by, perhaps seeing a kindred spirit, she's fascinated by this robot clown. I have to assume that's it. <laughs> she's, I have uh, more in common with you than with these fleshlings. <laughs> she's mirroring the robot clown's antics, which are basically just yep. standing up and sitting down. And this is enough to convince the moving men that she, yep. who everyone up until this point has believed to be a flesh and blood girl, <laughs> is a robot. And they just the moving hit man's her up. like ah oh, these silly synthetics entertaining each other. <laughs> yeah, they don't we organics them. don't care for them. <laughs> yeah, normally they give those uh, the circus display a Voight camp test before they pack it up. <laughs> like wow, this clown's really playing it coy. <laughs> he's going down and then up, and then his eyes blink. <laughs> Maybe he's Won't human. answer the questions. <laughs> It's the Tyrell Corporation's best work yet. <laughs> Impossible to tell him, tell the difference. Harrison Ford is just falling in love with this clown robot. <laughs> so Edward James almost says that clown robot won't live forever, but then who does? Shut up, Edward James almost. <laughs> Edward James almost. <laughs> so yeah, Vicky gets packed away in the store's Picky. closet. <laughs> Vicky. Oh, Vicky. Yeah, Vicky uh, gets taken to the closet. A cl- and this is the main conflict of the episode. So everyone in- else, except for this laborer, would see a, a grown man just picking up a strange girl <laughs> and dressed as a maid. locking her in the closet. But luckily, Vicky's luckily, got super robot strength. As with in many 80s sitcoms, everyone else, all the other extras in the scene are, I guess, blind and don't notice the crazy thing going on. Uh, they, so she's locked in the closet. Uh, now it's been established in the that closet, she's if you will, like R. Kelly, super strong. Yeah, she picked up a, a whole bottle of uh, what, like water, water. Cooler like a Culligan water cooler, yeah. like Deer recharge Park. Yeah. or something. Recharge. <laughs> That's why when you plug it in, it goes. <laughs> yeah, she did a straight arm hey, recharge, lift. dude. Uh, which is crazy because there's yeah. no way that like she doesn't weigh enough. She would tip yeah. over if she picked balance. that up you like don't that. Know how much she weighs? Yeah. Well, that fucking laborer just <laughs> that guy was huge. No, I think you're you are being how do you charitable. Know he didn't to this have guy. like anti grav propulsor <laughs> units in his hand for picking up heavy boxes. He living like in a sci fi universe. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, he's got some kind of cybernetic implant into his spine. <laughs> Maybe he's a robot. That's true. Oh. Uh. So, uh, and it's also been established that she's got incredible grip strength. Mm-hmm. When she picks up an egg a and just smashes the shit will. out of it. Uh, well, that's something that even a human child can do. <laughs> <laughs> These are not <laughs> eggs are not difficult to break. I think it was not one of Hercules' labors <laughs> yeah. to crush the egg to crack an egg. <laughs> the first labor was, oh yeah, well, crush this egg in your hand, and he did it. And then the, his friend, the king, was like, oh, we're gonna make the labors harder. Yeah. Hair is tearing her hair out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Hera, Vicky, the Greek god of hair. <laughs> but Vicky escapes from the uh, closet by pushing the door out of its hinges, just knocking it over, it down, and they make a run for it. Um, they'll make a brisk walk for it. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone is is too busy going <laughs> to try and stop them. Um, they go home, but they're caught sneaking back into the house. But because they did this for their anniversary, for the parents' anniversary, the parents have no choice but to forgive them. Yeah. yeah, they don't give a shit. And uh, and the child, the male child, having learned a lesson about how Vicky's nice, I guess, decides not to uh, keep her in his closet as he has been. And so Vicky slams that door down too, 
And then I guess end of episode. Yeah. Uh, another job well done, small wonder. So the and plot then, could charitably be called Thin. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard. Here are two things I'm going to say about this story. One, this is a 22-minute show that I think had probably an eight-page script. And two, if children had written this, I would have been like, that's really good. You guys did a great job. Imagining an adult writing this is beyond my understanding of, yeah. of humanity. As a child, I wrote a short story about a snake that gets revenge on the loss of its <laughs> brother snake, and they get in an awesome fight. Story. And they get in an awesome fight with Pete. I, I drew pictures too. Mm-hmm. That was way more fleshed out than this. This script. Look, I'll mention again the book my brother wrote when he was a kid, where Phil Sims gets kidnapped, <laughs> and the bad guy has metal wings at the end that let him glide over a giant stadium. That was more complicated than this. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so... But I mean, the acting really put it over the top. Brian Cranston was great as the dad. That was not... Elijah Wood as the kid. Okay. uh, And as Vicky. He played both parts. Amazing. Uh, Who played the mom, Elliot? Uh, The mom was played by Helen Mirren. (laughs) Okay. Oh, wow. That's why she was nude a lot of the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. There is nothing like a dame, Helen Mirren. (laughs) Nothing acts like a dame, Helen Mirren, etc. That's from the, the show Helen Mirren in the South Pacific. Um and the interests of getting along getting along to our let's get along little doggies. So one our of the main... things that I liked about that episode no, is wait, that it was really easily <laughs> summarized uh in the credit sequence. Yeah, the credit where they just showed clips out of order of clips. the scene the show you just watched. Still images, I think, right? <laughs> no, maybe uh, no, clips. just enough clip that you could see like her head spin around and it was like, an people early do some GIF. fucking hot takes. These were and early shit. early gifts. Yeah. It was early GIF peanut butter. But yeah, they could. They did recap the entire plot during the closing credits. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, let's uh, move on to the greater meat of this bonus episode. Final which judgments. Is, which is uh, <laughs> was it a good bad show? A bad bad show? No, no, no. I mean, we can do that. I uh, it's uh, good. It, I thought it was pretty good bad. I yeah, say. I think it's pretty good bad yeah. too. Yeah. I recommend if you you had me at Robot Child. <laughs> yeah. If you want something terribly stupid to watch, uh, Small Wonder will scratch mm-hmm. that itch. And the greatest thing about it is it feels like a pre-made parody of an 80s sitcom. If, it, if, a bit, if a credit had come up at the end that said executive produced by Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim, I would have been like, yeah, makes total sense. <laughs> Nailed it, guys. <laughs> you did a great Nailed job. Nailed it again. You put, you put TV on blast. Uh, but now... Um, we uh, threw out a challenge. Not really a challenge. We just said. Now we said ask questions yeah. of us. On our Facebook page. Uh, ask us questions. And the first 30 we will answer on this bonus episode. And um, Are so, the first 10 about foreskins? Because I feel like we covered that. <laughs> I'll, like I'll, a parachute. If I get to anything about <laughs> foreskins, I will skip it. Okay. Or um, skip it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so let's Good run one. through uh, questions from you. Perhaps not you personally. Do you need like a but you theme the song? royal you? I no. think it would help some kind of pledge question time. Oh pledge question rhyme. Here's a special pledge song from me to you. Thanks for giving money to Max Fun for the questions. We'll answer questions from you, maybe, or other people like you. You're all the same to me. I'm a rich TV guy. Wow. <laughs> You're all regular Joes, and Jesus. I laugh at you I when I'm counting I'm not my him. luck. <laughs> uh, well, Thanks uh, for the questions and wow. the donation so, pledge. 
got a real hip hop mentality that of song really <laughs> <ended> <laughs> wealth so, haves versus note. not haves. Well, the thing is, I don't like hip hop music, but I like the message <laughs> of I've got lots of stuff. Uh, so, question number one from Louie. CK? <laughs> Wait, is this a bit? No. Yeah, this I don't think no. this is a bit. No, this is not, not a bit. A bit. Second so. question. Well, if they're all like that, it's going to be easy. Oh, wow. We're going to crush this shit. Question number two. <laughs> I think we're getting an A plus so far. From Daniel. Which of your favorite books do you think would make the best film if it hasn't been filmed already? So, uh, which of your favorite books? I'll field this one, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, actually, I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but maybe I haven't, that one of my favorite books of all time, The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton, I'm kind of amazed they've never made a movie of because much of the book is taken up by a very suspenseful chase sequence, but the movie itself has a really good hook on a plot. It's really funny. There's a lot of good like adventure stuff to it, and it's like it would lend itself to some kind of like... So this isn't a movie yet? It is not a movie okay. yet, uh, and, but uh, the only problem is that the ending is very metaphysical and abstract, but up till that point... It seems very filmable. Like you could film a lot of it directly from the book, and I've always been surprised that no one has. I think Orson Welles did a radio production of it with the Mercury Theater, but otherwise, as far as I know, maybe I don't. Maybe there is, and I just know. As far as I know, there's never been a screen adaptation. Uh, one of my favorite books. I don't. I actually don't know whether this would make a good movie. I think it would make a very good HBO miniseries or something of the kind. Uh, one of my favorite books. It's called Small Wonder. The book <laughs> is uh, Fifth Business by Robertson Davies, the famed Canadian author. Um, and in fact, all of the Deptford trilogy, I think. Uh, the Deptford Wives. They made that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Fifth Business being the first part of that would uh, come out to a nice um, miniseries. And, you know, actually, Elliot, I was thinking when I was reading uh, The Power Broker, which you fin- which you encouraged me to read, and I finally read all twelve thousand pages of it. Uh, twelve hundred pages of it. <laughs> uh, twelve hundred, sorry, uh, twelve thousand. Uh, was that that kind of felt like you could make a really great miniseries out of it? Oh yeah, I think so too. It's there's a really great arc in that, and you have to cut out a lot of the detail, but that's fine. But like, there's he, Robert Moses is such a great real life character mm-hmm. uh, i agree with you on that and it's to see the city change from new york of the like 19 teens to new york of the 1960s is a great right breath of time you know i guess i'm really we haven't really talked about what our books are about should we do that or no um i mean I, the thing is like i've it's been like it's been so long since i actually read fifth business that all i remember is how much i loved it and little about the specifics but it's a very like it, but the thing is, it's kind of a uh, Picaresque book. It's like a, it's a, it's a, a buildings roman. Like so, it it, it kind of using a lot of farm. You're saying words. a lot of shit that I don't understand, Dan. <laughs> it's episodic. How about that? Okay, so it's like episodes it's, of small ones. It's an episodic. <laughs> it's an episodic book about a young man's uh, coming of age. Uh, not coming so of age. So it's like losing like it. Making his no coming of, age, screw balls. Screw balls. <laughs> coming of age is a little different. Like a young man making his way in the world, like from youth to adulthood. And uh so that's why I feel like maybe not so much a book. And they as, made that it's called boyhood. All right. Thanks. No, but I see what you mean, like a ser- mini series. Yeah. Well they uh for those who don't know the man who was Thursday, it's set it's from the early twentieth century, and it's about a secret agent in England, a special policeman who has been tasked with infiltrating the 
leading counsel of an anarchists group. There's seven members, and each of them is named after a different day of the week, and he takes on the role of Thursday, undercover. Uh, and he's trying to take down the leader of the group, Sunday, who is a man of such massive kind of physical force and also personal charisma that everyone is afraid of him. Uh, but it's a real, it's like a... But it's it, also a religious parable, which you don't like well, so much about Well, that's the thing about it. it, is it's... Well, no, I, I actually find it... The thing is, it was written as a refutation of kind of like subjectivity and the idea that everything in the world is just a matter of what perspective you're looking at it from, but it becomes such a convincing case for that. He's writing it as a like... The subtitle of the book is A Nightmare, and he's writing as if like, wouldn't it be crazy if life was like this? But there's a lot of beautiful passages that are kind of about that idea of... Things look one way, but then you learn something new, and it turns out they're actually a different way. And by the end of it, it's about all of life encompassing those contradictions. And I actually find the ending very beautiful. Like if you can strip it of the like bare skin of the like thin skin of Christian allegory, I, I relate to it quite a bit. So, you have anything? Steve? And what about you, Stu? Like Warhammer books or something? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so the movie, I think this this recent surge of like. 80s neon style and heavy synthesizers makes me wish that one of my favorite novels, Neuromancer by uh, William Gibson, was a- uh, adapted into a movie. That's but, another one I'm super surprised by. That but like, it hasn't been before. I feel like you almost would have to adapt it with that, like, with that in mind. I mean, uh, Neuromancer that, is like the original. I guess the the original cyberpunk novel. It's like it's like one of the first seeds of cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's uh, William Gibson's the Canadian author who came up with the term <laughs> cyberspace. Guys love your Canadians. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I love about William Gibson's stuff is it's he's writing about an idea of a computer world, but before any of that stuff existed. So like his terminology is like is being used in a way that I don't know that he understood it to be used at the time. And he, and he writes, he writes books without taking too much time to like fill you in. In a way he's kind of like Patrick O'Brien who wrote these like naval stories in that he, he just, he just keeps talking and assumes you're going to catch up. You either know how a ship works in the 18th century or 19th century, or you're going to pick it up. Now Neuromancer is a crazy book and I don't know how it would be as a movie, but, and cyberpunk, is not particularly a genre that has been uh, treated well in the movies. And you had your classics, your lawnmower mans, your, <laughs> your Johnny's Johnny mnemonic, <laughs> your hackers, your the Netses. Sure. Uh, so let's move along because we've got a lot of these. Number three from Emily. What if Penny met a dinosaur? I think we kind of covered. We did kind of cover that. But, yeah, Dan, uh, you figured that out, right? You did some sleuthing. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think I figured anything out through my sleuthing. You figured out there's what some. I figured weirdo. out there's like some weirdo out there <laughs> who's really obsessed with whether what would happen if various uh, fictional children's characters <laughs> met dinosaurs. I think it would depend on the kind of dinosaur. Yeah, sure. I think if it was a Velociraptor, it would make short work of her. She's dead. But if it's yeah. like, <laughs> if it's a Velociraptor, it'll distract her while two more beautiful Velociraptors sneak up along the sides <laughs> and flank her. <laughs> Clever girls. Clever girls. Uh, If it's like a Triceratops, she's probably riding that thing all over town. Mm -hmm. If it's a Utah Raptor, she's also dead. With her book, uh, you know, like propped up on the horns. Yeah, yeah. If it's it's like a Deinonychus, best dinosaur, then she's going to get eaten. If it's a Hadrosaurus, or Mm -hmm. Hadrosaur, you know, duckbill dinosaur, then, you know, who knows? I mean, it could go either way, really. 
it's a Parasaurolophus, she's going to enjoy the beautiful sounds of its horn. What if it's Denver the last dinosaur? Then it's going to rock out <laughs> eating pizza and playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And she's going to have a great time. She's probably going to date him for a little bit. Yeah. And if it's Theodore Rex, she uh, likes Theodore Rex will be like, look. Whoopi's already my partner. I don't need <laughs> sure. another crime fighter. I'm yeah. way too old for you. <laughs> so number four from Jacob. Sleepaway Camp 2, an all-time good, bad classic. I have not seen it. I haven't seen it either, I have to admit. Oh, yeah. No, I've totally seen it. I saw yeah. it before I saw the original Sleepaway well, Camp. What do you got for us, too? Uh, all I remember was enjoying it. I don't. Okay. I mean, I, it's way more traditional. It's a way more traditional slasher. I remember yeah. there being some some boobs in it. So not... So not all time good bad though then. I don't know if I yeah I mean I don't remember it well enough to say all time but uh, you know what Jacob I'll give it another look yeah <laughs> so that that, that let's, one is let's pop some corn verdict withheld as it pens a we rehear the evidence and let's watch this movie yeah uh, number five from Aaron what was your first formative film experience as a child oh that's a uh, movie Hollywood's Aaron Eckhart asking us this question yeah. <laughs> is that who it is? Yeah. From the core. <laughs> from the core. Best known from the core. Aaron Eckhart. Can we trust him? <laughs> was that that wasn't a bat, that was Batman? They sounded like a pirate. <laughs> Arr, Aaron Eckhart. Can we can we be trusted? He uh, Commissioner Gordon. I don't know about Commissioner form- Gorton from the Gorton's Fisherman. <laughs> I don't uh, know about formative <laughs> film experience. Like the first. Film I remember my parents taking me to go see in the theater was Never Cry Wolf, uh, which I remember very little about other than Brian Dennehy uh, flew a plane around and uh, where's the wolf? The guy in? fell through some ice at one point and had is the sp- guy Brian Dennehy? <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, in terms of like formative film experiences, I've talked about this before on the show, but I remember um, like my older brothers exposing me to movies like Poltergeist and Alien on HBO, movies I should not have seen at the age that I saw them, which I think that with most things that like disturb you as a child, like that disturbance goes through a process where it gets reformulated into love somehow. I mean, and, many psychopaths experience that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I love horror movies uh, now because of, of, of that. Stuart, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I think, uh, the first movie that I remember going to see in the theater was, I may have told the story, but was, uh, Ghostbusters. And I remember my mom covered my eyes at the first big, uh, ghost scare. In the library. Her, her reasoning being, when I was like, what did it look like? She said, like Skeletor. <laughs> and I nodded sagely, <laughs> understanding exactly <laughs> what she meant. What I would also say is the first VHS box art that totally, completely captivated my attention was the box art for Company of Wolves. Is that mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. where there's a wolf snout coming out of some dude's mouth? I remember seeing that in like a pharmacy uh, that also rented videos. And every time I went to that pharmacy, I would like sneak peeks at this fucking cover art. And I I don't even think I've ever seen the movie, which is weird. But to this day, I remember the fucking wolf snout coming out of this guy's mouth. Hmm. Uh, I don't. The first movie I was ever taken to, I was too young to to remember it because I was about six months old or so, and my parents took me to go see the movie Atlantic City because they just needed to get out of the house. So they bundled up me and my twin sister and took us to go see Louis Maul's story yeah. of an aging gangster. And you're like, hubba hubba, look at Susan Strandon bathing herself with lemons. That's that's what I said as I slept <laughs> through the movie because I was a baby. But like we, I, I, don't, I honestly don't remember the first movie I saw in the theaters. It was probably like a Disney reissue 
of uh, one of their older movies or maybe like. I like I to am- imagine this alternate universe where you're totally quiet through an entire movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm quiet through movies now when I'm sure. mean to go see them. But yeah, there are a lot of movies that I like. There are ex- experiences that I feel like I've talked about on the podcast, like when my dad and I watched RoboCop together. And there's certain movies like Ghostbusters and Gremlins and Gremlins 2 that like became a part of my mythology of the world as a, as a child. Uh, and then when I was 13, I saw Citizen Kane for the first time. And it was the first time I really remember like seeking out a movie that I had heard was supposed to be great and then being like blown away by it and really loving it. Uh, number six, what recent, this is from Darren, what recent flop in the last seven years do you regret not covering? I'll say uh, I kept thinking that we were going to maybe have uh, sometime guest host Shubin Parang back to watch Atlas Shrugged Part 2 after we watch Atlas could still happen. Part 1 with him. Yeah, it could still happen, but uh, that I mean, one he looms could, in my head. I don't, I don't have to leave, guys. He yeah, could, we he could come. yeah, yeah. I just want, I don't want you to have to catch up. You missed the whole thing. Yeah, because it's totally never gonna, gonna be totally lost. I'll be lost. Thing. I will have to watch it as like homework because yeah. I'm allergic to homework. <laughs> <laughs> it was diagnosed when I, I was saw, a child. I saw a poster to that effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's based on my rare condition. <laughs> uh I feel like there are a number of movies that aren't coming to mind but that I wanted to watch, but Dan would be like, Oh, I saw that already. Or like, no, we might like that, and then we didn't get to watch them. Yeah, I mean, I really want to watch Lucy, but I don't know if that falls. We're definitely going to enjoy that, though, <laughs> sure. at least on some level. Uh, I'm really glad that the guillotine uh, that is has the words Bucky Larson inscribed <laughs> upon it has not fallen yet. Yeah, I think we I think we I think that guillotine has been we, we dodged it. I don't know. I'm just worried some <laughs> contest winner will suggest it and we'll like, watch it. What was that like? Uh, movie 43 What was the fucking Vince yeah. Topher or whatever. Movie? We didn't have to watch that. Or like inappropriate comedy, oh, Any, that anything that's like a one. like a big parody movie. I'm glad we don't have to do. Uh, number seven from Trevor. What's the best topping for frozen yogurt? Does granola count as a topping, or is that sure. like too many items? No, I think that counts. That's mashed together. Yeah. Okay, it's like granola. A, it's like a mash. Uh, hey, I'll tell you what's the best topping for frozen yogurt. What? Ice cream, and then cut that frozen Boom. yogurt shit out. Boom. Um. I would say <laughs> strong opinion. I would say crushed up Heath bars, but uh, wow! I mean, that's a good ice cream topping. I feel like if you're eating frozen yogurt, you're fooling yourself that you're being healthy. So maybe I'll go with raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> maybe craisins. I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, number eight. How about a human adrenal gland? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> number eight from Nicole. What movie or movie scene disturbed you greatly as a young child? Uh, to go back to Poltergeist, the one that springs to my mind is when the paranormal researcher is washing his face and then starts peeling his own face off, and he becomes a bloody skull face. Uh, for me, it would be Large Marge from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, mm-hmm. which I could not watch as a child, and now I think it's totally goofy and silly. Uh, for me, it's the end of the animated Return of the King movie where Gollum dies, and I feel totally sad. The first time I saw it, I went to my bedroom and cried. <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All you wanted was your precious. Also, I have to admit, when I was a kid, I saw Troll 2. It used to play on HBO all the time, and I did not know that it, how stupid it was. And there were parts <laughs> you didn't know that it was a classic good-bad movie. <laughs> yeah. And so there were parts of it that were genuinely frightening to me like the first time his grandpa shows up and it's just very eerie there are tarts that well, were as a kid were de- were de- very disquieting to me you know? the, i mean the thing about that movie is like 
it makes so little sense that there's something more disquieting about that. Like the idea that there's this like world where you yeah. eat, you eat like uh, the like certain foods and it turns you into like this vegetative goo. Like and then like at the end, like the fact that the kid's mom dies, like like that's kind of creepy. Like I feel like there's something about a bad movie that can like scratch certain like creepiness itches yeah. that other movies can't. Like I feel like. As bad a movie as it is, there's something genuinely disturbing about Manos, The Hands of Fate, because it looks like a snuff film. Oh, sure. It looks like that ri- might have really happened to those people. Yeah. yeah. And the, there's a sense of bleakness and the end of the world, and these people, have their lives are destroyed. I Also, and this, isn't a, this is not quite the same thing, but like when I was a kid, I caught a little bit of Fool's Fire, the Julie Taymor movie on the hop frog adaptation. Yeah, on P- where it's mostly puppets. Yeah. On PBS, and it took me years just of like, Trying to find the, find out what this thing was, you know, mm-hmm. trying to track it down. So that was more of a bizarre obsession that led to <laughs> seduction. And murder. <laughs> Number nine from Scott. Everyone, could you please share some thoughts on the goals of film noir as a genre? The uh, goals. The goals. I'm not really sure. I Entertain, mean, like, make money, show some dames, get some guys killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I mean, I, there's some subtext there, but I don't know if like that counts as. I goals. mean, you could say that it was. I mean, the roots of it go it's like before. a masculine power fantasy. Kind well, of, but, but like a masculine power fear thing, like masculine power. It's a post-war thing where like guys are coming back from the war and women have usurped their place. Well, but some the point. thing is, the roots of it go back earlier than the war. Yeah, but you could say that it was a, an attempt to create a darker, more sophisticated entertainment for men who had seen and experienced things that, and women at, on the home front had seen and experienced things that made it harder for them to look at just kind of like the glossy stuff of the past. Except that like. There were plenty of pre-war movies that were super dark and and adult, and there was plenty of goofy junk that came, you know, and, and candy stuff that mm-hmm. came out. Like so a like, goofy L- movie. So I feel like the <laughs> Elliot Galen it, Maltese Falcon is goofy junk. <laughs> no, no, that's what I was saying. But like at the same time that that was coming out, there were plenty of like still silly candy floss movies. So the idea that like the war came and nobody could ever enjoy silly things again is it seems kind of off to me. But uh, here's what I'll say: it was. So, trying to get at the same uh, kind of fear and power centers that early horror had been trying to get at. That's my guess. Um, number 10 from well, Basically, Sh- it was an expense. Ex- it, ex- it was an excuse <laughs> to project some light through Venetian blinds. But anyway, you're saying, Dan? Number 10 from Sean. Have any of you. Of pers- the dead. Have any of you pursued writing slash producing slash shooting a feature film? Um, Let me go first. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, Concise. Yeah. I've written one feature screenplay with no particular idea that it would ever be produced. Um, it was all right. In a similar boat, I've written about four or five feature scripts that will never be produced. Let me add on to my response. Uh-huh. When I was in junior high, I shot two separate short films titled Chickman from Mars and Chickman 2, Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> Chickman? Chickman. They're, it's uh, chicken men that live on Mars. Okay, so not Makes, men What the fuck's like, your question, dude? Come on. Not men who are before. into, like, chicks. No, no, no. These are chicken men who live on Mars. Uh-huh. People go to Mars, and then the chicken men, I guess, kill them. I don't remember it that well. Oh, see, when I was a kid, I shot short movies all the time. My, my friend, yeah. Adam Wasserman, and I, he had a camera and he also had a George and Wendy Wasserstein. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing the Heidi Chronicles <laughs> uh, and he had a George Bush mask. And so we did a series of, sh- of video shorts, video shorts. We shot a series of stupid things where George Bush, after losing the 92 election, 
decides to become a vigilante and we create and becomes a character we called Bushbo, who's part <laughs> George Bush and part Rambo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like later on, we would make like stupid stuff. But whereas, say, like Sam Raimi and his friends wanted to become professional filmmakers, we lost interest and got lazy and ne- never did that type of stuff yeah. again. But we shot, you know, we I've, we shot. I'm sure Dan, you also shot plenty of like yeah, comedy. Yeah, no, I, I shot. Well, I mean, like most. I of, think a lot of dra- like family dramas. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was when I was shooting things. Like I saved up money when I was a kid and I bought my own uh, video camera at a time when that was a huge expense. And you had uh, to walk two miles in the snow. Yeah. I was mostly interested in just like experimenting with different visual techniques, which made which led me to making a lot of music videos because uh-huh. you didn't have to have any sort of narrative. Saying, I experimented a lot with putting it against holes I drilled in the walls of uh, women's changing rooms. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, That's about the right diameter to fit a penis through. <laughs> so number eleven. From Jennifer, when did you figure out you were good at comedy? I'm not sure that it's happened yet. Someday we'll get it. Yeah. Someday, yeah. Someday we'll find it. The comedy connection. I think it was when I quit my job and more than one person said, hey, you should go into comedy. <laughs> but they said that over Twitter, so there's a chance they could have just been fucking with me. It's possible. Uh, number 12 from Ashley. Was there a particular movie that inspired the creation of the Flophouse? Yes. Was there? Uh wait what? No, no I'm just fucking with you. Uh yeah, I think uh, I think the movie Dirty Love. When we watched Dirty Love, that was the moment. That that I least been. is that when the I one f- with Jenny McCarthy? It is the one where she Sl- periods all over her <laughs> blood in the grocery store. Uh, and her she, love interest is store said she periods all over. <laughs> she periods all over the place. <laughs> um, but that was the movie. That was one of the before we started doing the podcast. That was one of the times that I remember. You and I actively seeking out like a well-known shitty bad movie, mm-hmm. and I think you fell asleep on the floor while we watched it. <laughs> Sounds like classic, me. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> uh, I said I'll see it on a plane. From uh, number thirteen, from Gina, has a movie ever been so bad it actually made you angry? Like I feel like we. Uh, oh sure, we've had a couple of those during this this run of this podcast. Yeah. Recently, like Man of Steel made me kind of angry. I mean, I mean Sucker Punch made me mad. Right. And well, and then there are classics that we've talked about a ton, like Nothing 40 but Trouble. Don't talk you, about nothing that. Nothing but Trouble. Like, oh, yeah, 40 Days, 40 Nights. Which, you, by the way, Dan Aykroyd. Feather pedals across Dan Aykroyd is looking like the after picture if he <laughs> uses his 40, uh, his Nothing But Trouble guy as the before picture. I fucked up that joke. Don't worry about it. Just rewind it and play it the right way. <laughs> rewind it and play it the right way. Just cut way. and paste it. They're supposed to cut the tape up like yeah. a benefit of Mr. Funny. Kite style? Okay, so I've never he's been good at the, comedy. He's asking the audience to fix it in post. <laughs> you know, use your imaginations to put that joke together in a way you think is funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interactive. Number 14 from Kevin. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. I guess Coke. Uh, I think it's all the same sugary garbage, but they if I had to make totally different. But I've like tried to eliminate all that shit from my but if I had to Coke, I guess. Wow. I will say that one time I got paid four hundred dollars for an evening's work as a taste for, tester. For an evening as a taxi dancer. <laughs> <laughs> for an evening's work I'm, as a Pepsi taste tester, and that made me briefly like Pepsi because they gave me money. Hmm. So I prefer the taste of Coke. Number fifteen. From Jacob, what product or film series would you like to Michael Bay to ruin next, and why? 
What if he just moved on to the GoBots guys? <laughs> See, I feel like he's already done robots. Mm-hmm. Time for something like Starhawks or like Thundercats. I think sectars? would be. What I think Thundercats Hawk? would be so. <laughs> or like Kolchak the Night Stalker. Actually, Streethawk the the Kip uh, the uh, Night Rider type motorcycle would be pretty good for him. Yeah, but yeah, Thundercats. But with something like Thundercats, where I think there's enough nostalgia tied in with that that people will be genuinely upset when they're like no when lino does sight beyond sight it looks like this i mean as long as they can take disposable children's cartoons meant to sell toys and make dark ish like grown-up action versions of them i think we'll be all yeah it'll just show chitara naked the whole time just basically is yeah just like the pilot episode it's just gonna be a lot of chitara bending over in front of stuff (laughs) i think Stu is right though it has to be something that uh, people have some sort of irrational nostalgic attachment yeah, to. Yeah, like Mad Balls. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> like Kushkins. <laughs> In this one, but the Boglets like are fucking terrifying. <laughs> uh, this is from John. It's number 16. If the Flophouse were a TV <laughs> podcast, what show would each, would each of you want to cover for an episode? Well, was that a yawn or a burp, Dan? It was a burp. Okay. Uh, well, uh, clearly this was a TV podcast for one episode. You're welcome, John. Um, <laughs> but I'm surprised we did Small Wonder and not Studio 60. Studio 60 would be strip. the one I would choose. Yeah. But we did Small Wonder because it was 30 minutes long. Uh, 22. Stu, <laughs> what would you go with? If you had to... I would like to pick some uh, one of those Real Housewives reality shows because I think jumping into the middle, it would be really fun to try and explain the... The uh, convoluted relationship dynamics. Yeah. Um, This is question number 17 from AJ. What are the chances of a flop house? Almost justice. Almost justice. Edward James almost justice. AJ (laughs) asks, what are the chances of a flop house slash adventure zone crossover? Oh, man. And what, what would that crossover look like, Dan? I don't, why are you looking at me? You're the one who has expressed an actual like desire. I mean, to cross Dan, over you express desire all the time. Yeah. Desire for butts, <laughs> desire for objects. Dan McCoy's expressed desire. <laughs> so that's the show. That's Ten o'clock on Showtime. That's the Cinemax or Showtime show where, where Dan reads letters from people where they write about desiring things. But, but they've sent it by FedEx, so it's expressed. <laughs> expressed desire. Every, every episode. If you don't get your desire in 20 minutes, it's free. The, fa- the camera first pans past the sign that... That uh, notifies you that this is Wife Butt Manor, <laughs> his his palatial home. And then it's Dan in the shower, and then he get puts on a flimsy robe, picks up a he letter. Says, oh, I didn't see you there. But, no, and he, these by, by these he narrator characters never know there's another person. <laughs> they just sit around nude and read letters. <laughs> and so, and you read a letter, and then that is one of the, one of the dear Dan. I had a desire I wanted to tell you about, and then it dissolves to a sex scene that I guess they're describing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. Flophouse Adventure Zone crossover. I think it's well, not a bad. Uh, I know. I know. I would love to be a guest on the Adventure Zone. Yeah. Um, as a uh, as a gamer, as a real as, as a, a real D and D freak, as a real dice head. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure Elliot would enjoy it. Dan would I'm have sure, no yeah. part of that kind of. Dan does not like to game or role play unless it's in the bedroom. <laughs> That's true. And there he. It's weird because he plays Paladin and Elf, which is his <laughs> sex game that he role plays. Yeah. But and I'm sure we would love to have at least one of those guys on here. <laughs> I, yeah, no, we would love to have one of them. <laughs> no, I just, I'm imagining 
And I'm imagining some kind of fantasy role play based sex role playing where it's uh-huh. like our quest tonight to find the vagina. <laughs> sure. But I also like I'll I'll, I'll use my two point wand of penis. I like the idea that I have to roll a twenty Wait, what's to a die. Two point wand. He gets two points That's crazy. He gets two points to orgasms. <laughs> no, but like That's, you're using completely wrong terminology. <laughs> I like the idea. Damn! That I, I keep rolling sixes. I, I want to penetrate, but I well, I have saying. to get eight or higher. God damn it! <laughs> Sorry. I keep jibber jabbering. I can't get my joke out. Say your joke then. No, it was about whether I roll a twenty and decide to die to see whether my uh, sexual maneuver was successful or not. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, a natural twenty. That's a critical. I don't know jizz. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, spe- this got gross. Sorry. Speaking of the yeah, so I, we're not going to be asked on. <laughs> Speaking of the McElroys, though, uh, someone said by Twitter that their dream would be for us to switch uh, formats for an episode. Huh. And if we uh, and, you know, if they're listening, I think that would be a great for- thing for uh, next year's bonus episode. Yeah. Format swap. If the McElroys mm, had to watch a bad movie. Yeah. Sounds dirty. And talk about it. And we had to answer some advice for uh, doing advice. Because we are doing yeah. great tonight with all this question answering. Oh, yeah. Oof. How many ideas? are we through? I mean, 43, 52? <laughs> Elliot threw out the, the number 30, and I, to it my discredit, more... did not argue with him. <laughs> it seemed like a good number. Let's. Get, I forgot We're what long-winded through, right? people I am. Uh, We're trapped in here until we answer the ball. <laughs> and the room is slowly filling with water. <laughs> question 18 from Brendan. What is the maximum amount of fun? I would say orgasm. Maybe. Oh, I thought you were going to give a number value. <laughs> yep, like I thought it was going to be a joke and <laughs> not totally for serious. 12. Dan, orgasm is more than fun. It's the sort of ecstasy that puts you in touch with the divine. As the French know it, le petit mord. Or which, the little Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> which is the funniest of all sexy TV shows. Yeah. Uh, number 19 from Casey. Not of the Sunshine Band, I assume. This is from, for Stuart alone. Oh, wow. Stuart... Who would you cast in a head of the family reboot? So a a gritty reboot doesn't have to be gritty. gritty. A gritty It'd reboot like a of Charles dark, Band's Dark Shadows style reboot. So let me see. Let's look at some of these sweet characters we got here. <laughs> um, uh, real characters. So as uh, as uh, Lance, the romantic lead, I would say probably we're going to need somebody really studly. I would say uh, Angus Grimm. Uh, as the elderly Angus <laughs> as his love interest the sexy waitress who's cheating on her husband Loretta I would say uh, somebody kind of of the same league as Angus Grimm uh, is like his budget option guys or have I already, bu- have, I've already blown through the budget <laughs> no, with man. Angus Grimm let's like, assume you've got you've, the limit. you've got maximum budget so let's Max say budge. let's say like a real Sophia Vergara type <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I think, but most- not Sophia Vergara. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a type, just a type. type. So as the lead, as the titular head of the family, that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, Myron, uh, the one that, that whom with you mess with, you are dead. Yeah, if you mess with that head, you know what? You'll probably get killed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say John Voight because he's got a huge head. That's good casting. As Ernestina, his beautiful uh, sister, I would say Mayim Bialik. Okay. <laughs> because right. Big Bang Theory has shown she's still got the chops. <laughs> and as his brother with the giant eyeballs, I would say Jake Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler sure. people. Yeah. Riddle no, answered. 
<laughs> and Riddle <laughs> answers, open the door, gnome. <laughs> well, there's a gnome doorkeeper? Open the door, gnome. I want to get my fucking gold and go home. I answered your stupid riddle. <laughs> Okay, so and as the, the super a, a muscly fan, a brother, fan, a fantasy hero who has no patience for all this <laughs> for all the fantasy, fantasy the door, no. <laughs> I revert to racism in my frustration. <laughs> you got to cross a bridge, and a troll comes out. He goes, "Ah, have ye any copper to trade?" Ah, oh, damn it! <laughs> I just want to cross a fucking bridge or for would once. You every rather cross goddamn words bridge. with me. <laughs> And as the, or a challenge of spells ye seek. And as the oh, muscly brother, I think we're going to need a real powerhouse. One of the barbarian brothers. <laughs> one of the barbarian brothers. Which one? Which one? I, I think either one's going to do it. I think actually you should have them both take turns and occasionally <laughs> cut between them. Right. And then in a... In like the, the Olsons. Yeah, and then in a in the climactic right. scene, have both of them show up and you're like, <laughs> what? There's two of them? Yeah. It's like that gag in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> it's like the gag at the end of Twin Sitters when the the, the the all the groups of identical twins are fighting, and every single time the villains are like, "What two? Yeah, or the end of Palm Beach Story. Oh classic, yeah, it's true. Classic Hollywood. Spoiler alert. Um, or like at the end of Twin Sitters. I just said that. <laughs> or at the end of Dead Ringers. So, uh, question twenty from Lindsay: If Theodore Rex. And the dinosaurs from Adventures in Dinosaur City did a crossover, teaming them up, involving the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. <laughs> what would the movie be about slash called? Well, it's going to be called Biker Mice from Mars. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, it's and it's about, about the cowboys of Mumesa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's co-starring the leather goddesses of Phobos. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, so I hope that and I guess there's question. some Hollywood chainsaw hookers in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, who are also Hollywood hot tubbing. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a climactic scene in a slime bowl bolorama? There better be. <laughs> and of course, you better it, believe it, Stu. <laughs> it ends when all the dogs go to heaven. <laughs> Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. Uh, <laughs> That's one of those movies where I refuse to make believe they made any footage for it except what they needed for the trailer. <laughs> that and like Rover Dangerfield. I can't believe those are real movies. Well, the, the pitch for that movie was like, okay, okay, listen to me. What if Elvis was a rooster? <laughs> Stop right there. I'm buying it. In, so do you think how many that, how many green lights can I turn on? Do you think in his twilight years, Rodney Dangerfield sat in a dark room holding a Rover Dangerfield toy and was like. You and me, we don't get any respect. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yeah. Um, Number 21 from Adam. What's my mom's name? You each get one guess. And then what? What do we win? Is the gnome going to open that door? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Teresa. I'm going to try Sheila. Uh, (laughs) Brestulon. Your mom mom, is a robot alien. His mom is a character from like a penthouse comic story. (laughs) The name that I gave a wait, what was that? The who's that artist uh, (laughs) that did all the Leonardo da Vinci? (laughs) Yes, no, the one who did all the like weird, sexy robots in Penthouse magazine. Oh, right, and that Aerosmith album cover. Yeah, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. They, they used to have art books of him? Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, just call him RoboPerv. Ro- yeah, RoboPerv. Let's call him Isaac Asimov. Milo Minara. 
Uh, Milo Menard does not draw robots. <laughs> Number 22. He draws a lot of butts, though. 22 from Stan. How much do I need to bribe you to flop? Soriyama. <laughs> I think it was Soriyama. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. How, how yeah. much do I need to bribe you to flop the Judas Project? I think our standard fee of $700,000 probably yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the Judas Project is, but $700,000 will do it. Yep. Just deposit it to the Housecat Productions uh, Swiss bank account. I don't want the government tracing that money. Sure, This is a shell corporation. Uh, number 23 from Natalie. Sorry if people think this is a waste of a question. This is basically just for me and Shannon. If you could perform in a play or musical, any play or musical, either together or individually, what would it be and who would you play? Um, I mean, I've <clears throat> expressed my wish uh, to play Harold Hill and the Music Man and the Wolf and Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. I'll add to that, musical-wise, Dentist from Little Shop of Horrors would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, uh, he's kind of abusive to women. But he's got a great song. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, but, I don't know, straight plays. I mean, if I had the chops for a musical, I would want to do Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar. Sure. Because he's got all the best songs. But instead, I'll probably be Muttle and Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, one of the rude mechanicals in Midsummer's Night's Dream, if I was going to do a straight play, would be fun. Or in the, the porn version, the extremely rude <laughs> mechanicals. Yeah. I'd probably say Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. That's <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a but in my play. version, Gaston totally wins. He just destroys the beast and <laughs> wears his skin as a punch. cape afterwards. <laughs> the flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, he punches us so hard his fucking hair falls off. <laughs> and for a straight play, since uh, I would like to be in my favorite straight play, Our Town. All I would right. say for like, a straight... As whom? Uh, I think as the, as the narrator. Yeah. I would say for a straight play, a.k.a. the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wait, I don't. I'd like to think that I'd be an Eddie, but I'd probably just be a it's Rocky. A musical. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a gay musical. I it's mean. neither not straight in any sense. <laughs> uh, so number 24 from Kurt. Are there genres of bad movies you think are underappreciated in the current vogue for mocking bad movies? For example, 1970s disaster films. Or occult thrillers. Uh, so films, uh, types of films, I guess, that have been unfairly uh, lumped in, maybe with the bad movie crowd. Is that is that what it, is that what the question means? Wait, I, I kind of interpreted yeah. that like they're bad movies that don't get very much attention. Oh, yeah, let me see that. What number is this? You can. Uh, are there genres of bad movies that you think are underappreciated in the current vogue for mocking? Yeah, I think yeah. There's like movies you, that should be you think seen that, more as bad movies. Okay, that are being underutilized. Well, documentaries in general don't get as much get very much flack. <laughs> I mean, those tend to be sadder when they're bad. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, every era of movies has bad movies. So kind of like anytime there's a focus on just one type, it's you're ignoring other ones. But uh, I don't know. I feel like the thing is that those kinds of old occult thrillers and stuff like that were the bad movies that got watched for fun of an earlier era. Right. It's like people don't watch a lot of like 50s science fiction movies now as their bad movies, but like Mystery Science Theater 3000 did that. You don't see a lot of bad westerns. like the Golden Turkey Awards would cover that shit. Yeah. You don't see a lot of bad westerns, and I think the reason for that is a lot of them are really boring. Yeah. Like a bad western tends to be super dull. Um... But, but maybe that's the next thing for uh, the bad movie aficionado to discover, mm-hmm. like the uh, the room of 
westerns. It's got to be out there. We put it to you, Flophouse Vanden. Find it. Find it. If anybody Send says Silverado, I'm going to shoot you with my six guns. <laughs> uh, this, There's uh, got to be something out there, Doctor. Don't go to that bad movie, Taylor. You won't like what you find. Number Flight of the Apes. <laughs> number 25 from Micah. What time is it right now? Um, I, my, Late. It says, my computer 10, says 10.46. Oh, mine says 10, my phone says 10.37. Um, wow. Elliot's phone's right. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised that my uh, computer is off. Like, well, seems- guys, we've jumped the boring shark <laughs> officially in the discussion of Dan's computer's Let's time. Let's get to the bottom of this. Maybe if you, have you connected like, your computer to the internet. Looks like another mystery for the Flophouse Mystery <laughs> Squad. Like- Let's open up the case books, boys. This is maybe all dust for Prince. <laughs> it could be Bugs Meanie and his gang <laughs> deliberately setting your clock ahead so you're early to things. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody is gaslighting Dan for his Jesus. inheritance of I don't know pictures of butts and <laughs> you know the, the the chief detective at the Genius Bar wished he could tell people about his brilliant son who solved all of his computer time crimes for him. Time crimes. <laughs> I just figured that both your phone and my computer would be ho- like plugged into the same fucking internet. <laughs> you figured wrong. All right. Case closed. <laughs> Change the time on your computer. All right. Thus ends the mystery of the boring mystery. <laughs> so, number 26 from Ian. If you had the opportunity to be a writer for any TV show or, or for any show in TV history, which show would you Night choose? Court. <laughs> I said Night Court. Stuart wouldn't even let you finish the question. Um, you know, originally I thought I would pick... A, a show that had like a great writer's room, like uh, Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, or something like The Daily Mon- Show. Like Monty Python, where it's just like very influential. You could, if me. it was a later season, you could work alongside Douglas Adams. Right. But I realized that because those people are more talented than me, uh, I would just be fired from. Oh, those. you'd be the worst one in the room. I'd be the worst one in the room. So I'm going to pick Small Wonder, which <laughs> ran for four seasons somehow <laughs> and played back in the day when uh, there were only four networks or three networks probably at that time. And so I would have made a ton in residual money. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I've said many times when I've been asked this question Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls, yep. Uh, <laughs> the answer always remains the same Mystery Science Theater 2000. If I could have written for that show, it would have made me so happy. But alas, I was too young and not living in the Minneapolis area. Uh, number 27, from David, last name withheld. Uh, Why haven't you had David Kalen on as a guest host yet? Let me guess the last uh, name of this uh, one. Um, are you going to answer the question? Out of protest, you- I'm not answering the question. <laughs> sure. Why, why haven't we, Dan? Is it because uh, we wouldn't be able to compete with mm-hmm. two Kalens on the same podcast? We wouldn't be able to compete with his raw sexuality. Yeah. It's, the thing was, the two Kalens would cancel each other out. It'd be nothing but Stuart and, and Dan. by raw sexuality, I mean that we would get salmonella. <laughs> <laughs> Cook that sexuality, everybody. Uh, number 28 from Lan. If there was one movie you could wipe from existence entirely, what would it be? Um, I don't know. Like, There's going to be a what? weird one. I'm going to say The Blair Witch Project. Hmm. Because I hate found footage horror movies. That's a good and pick, though. As as I think the Blair Witch Project's actually genuinely pretty good, but it spawns so much garbage bullshit. Hmm. Uh, 
I don't know, some sort of like propaganda movie, like Triumph of the Will or something. I, don't <laughs> I mean, sure, that would be the the moral thing to do. I mean, all I could think of was nothing but trouble. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, number twenty nine in the home stretch here from Benjamin. Which peach would be best equipped to solve the murder of the other two and bring the killer to justice? Mm. You know what? Just for solving the crime, I would say Elliot would be great at it. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. I, but you know what? I'm going to go on a limb. I'm actually going to say Dan would be the best for both. Okay. One, uh, unless he got distracted by something or mm-hmm. fell asleep, sure, he'd be mm-hmm. good at putting the clues together because you know you you read mystery stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're That's big true. Sherlock Holmes in, and two, he'd be able to avenge us because the killer would never suspect he'd be a threat, and so he'd be able to sneak up on him. Yep. I think I think you're onto something there, Elliot. Yeah, yeah. I would be dead. Like, if there's a killer out there, he's going to go after me first because he knows that I am super dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go after you because he knows what the Eradicator. What's the fucking move you it's do? The Liberator. The Liberator. He knows it's that a if straight legged kick right up into the <laughs> testicles. <laughs> he knows that if he's on the receiving end of one of those, he's done so. Yeah, the Liberator, as seen in One Good Deed. <laughs> uh, no good deed. No good one, deed. One good deed. One Just fine one day. Good deed. <laughs> The um, George Surratt painting. <laughs> As seen in 101 Good Deed Mations. And finally, the 30th question from David, not Kalen. I should have said 20 questions. Uh, I'm a struggling writer who's looking to advance his career. My question, Stuart, how can I be more like you? Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. I would say just remember that evening time is time for some beers, man. Just crack a couple of brews uh, during the day. Wake up, I don't know, like 10 or 11. You're uh, probably going to want to play some Mortal Kombat or some Mass Effect, right? Yeah, play mm-hmm. some video games, dude. Who knows? It'll or some keep your blood, ha- blood bowl. Get yeah. Yeah. Pals together and do yeah, yeah, yeah. fantasy sports. Now, you're going like to want to read fantasy. a lot of Gene Wolfe novels. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, make sure to have a nice, healthy breakfast. <laughs> and by healthy, I mean delicious. Delicious with a lot of vegetables and eggs. And then uh, uh, maybe, go, maybe go for a jog in the afternoon. And yeah. then, uh, I don't know, drink some more until you go to sleep. Yeah, get get surprisingly handsome in like your late 20s. <laughs> well, yeah, su- surprisingly, yeah. So that when somebody sees you, they spit out whatever they're eating. Because they're fucking shocked. <laughs> <laughs> they're like grosso i thought you were terrible looking <laughs> grosso is my nickname growing up <laughs> oh i didn't realize that the lost yeah. mark's brother so it's called a backhanded compliment <laughs> barely a compliment um so that's that's our game <laughs> that's our game you've survived you've survived it that game okay. has no name. You've, you've survived our devious design you ask a good question boy but now you over <laughs> So tonight's uh, tonight's episode, I would like to was recommend brought to you by, by the letter K for what? So this is the part of the episode where we recommend a movie we actually like. Wait, oh, Wait are, are we, we doing, doing that? that? I don't, probably not. <laughs> this is the part of the episode where we sign off and thank you once again for donating to Maximum Fun. Thanks for donating to thank Max you. Fun, and please do not reveal the secrets contained in this episode. Mm-hmm. But such tell- as that maximum the maximum amount of fun you can have is twelve. <laughs> Don't tell people that. And if anyone asks you to answer the questions for them, say, you have to pledge. Just make up your own answers. They're probably as good as ours. Or that's for that. You know, that works too. (laughs) Or tell them to pledge. Yeah. Uh, But the gnome will get very angry Mm -hmm. otherwise. Gnome Uh, named Norm. And and all your gold will turn to ashes when you get it home. (laughs) Uh, But 
for the Flophouse bonus episode. I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Bonus Stewart. And I've been Boners Kalen. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Harvey Dent, can we trust him? Can we T-Rust him? <laughs> Teddy Rust. <laughs> Alfred Clayface, can we trust him? Killer Croc, can we trust him? <laughs> Mr. Zazz, can we trust him? <laughs> Mr. Zazz? <laughs> Mr. Zazz. Yeah, he's... Does that bedazzle his suits or something? Kind of, no. with the names of his victims, well, right? He, he carves a hash mark onto his body for everyone he kills. And he's covered in, like, a shitload of hash marks. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know yeah, he's tough. That is a lot. Scarface of- and the Ventriloquist, can we trust them? <laughs> It's Clock the same King. guy. <laughs> Clock King, can we trust him? Firebug, can we trust him? <laughs> calendar Man, can we trust him? I mean, you can trust him to follow the calendar, yeah, I he guess. he knows what the date is. That's my best Michael Caine impression. Well, Master Bruce, we can trust him. <laughs> <laughs>